Yes, we are good. Ready? Yep. Thank you. What up? Happy Wednesday and greetings. This is the Desiree Show. First downs and flip tricks on Dash Radio. It is the third day of April. Start off with a little bit of gears there. Start a little surf punk uh, just in honor of my guest today. Um, We're going to shift gears a little bit today. This guy comes from professional skateboarder. um, He's a lensman. He's actually an iconic lensman capturing surfing, skateboarding, musicians, and a really special, unique angle. Um, Very, very intimate angle. I'm really excited to welcome Mr. Steve Sherman today. And he drove in studio with me. We suffered LA traffic and an oil change as well. Welcome, Steve. We we did it all here. We we got here, though. We got here. He got to experience my commute. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Hollywood. Yes. Welcome to Hollywood. Um, yeah, I just want to super, thank you so much, uh, for making the time to come in tonight or today. It is Tuesday and thanks Cole as well. Uh, want to, yeah. And as I mentioned, this guy's, uh, he's been capturing iconic images for decades, uh, from Solano beach to Japan, actually via, via Indianapolis, Tavarua, Oz to the racetracks and even Lemoore. Uh, this guy's got a unique perspective, capturing quite the intimate images, Steve Sherman. So, okay, so this, okay, professional skateboarder, give, okay, Indian, Indianapolis, we're going to, I'm, I'm really raw today, so we're going to start, start, move from, from Indianapolis uh, in your te- young teens yeah. to Solana Beach. Yeah, I was, uh, I was 11 years old, and I was um, born in Indiana, and I He's in, not a Colts fan, okay? I'm not a Colts fan, but I'm a Hoosier. And then my parents moved to um, San Diego County in 74. And uh, from that point on, my life changed pretty dramatically. I was exposed to a lot more different things than in Indiana. Yeah, I would imagine. How was the skate scene in Indiana? Um, I couldn't even find a skateboard in Indiana. (laughs) The funny thing was the first thing when we flew into San Diego and we were staying at a hotel circle, the first thing we went out to look for was a skateboard. Because we couldn't find a skateboard in Indiana, and I wanted one for about a year. So we fit, and this is right before the urethane wheel. So we found a clay wheel skateboard, and I literally rode that skateboard for twelve hours a day in the hotel for two weeks, and just learned to skateboard. My first thing in California. Wow, that is pretty impressive. That's pretty right. So now it was a Hobie with clay wheels. Yeah, it was like a Hobie with clay wheels. Yes, okay. and, and my sister got the. Uh, the cheap one with the metal wheels. Okay. But I had, yeah, a clay wheel. And so um, it was a sidewalk surfer, I think it actually was. Okay. And it, yeah, and I just rode around the hotel and just learned to push and skateboard from that point on. And then, uh, yeah, this is the beginning of my new life in California. Well, and it, it really, I mean, and you obviously you're, you're known for your imagery. Um, I mean, and being probably one of the youngest 
get you know capturing images. Yeah, well, for surfer and well, actually, let's let's we're gonna we're gonna timeline this a little <clears throat> bit better. I'm uh, I'm all over the place. Yeah. So skateboarding led to skateboarding led to uh, well, I was playing sports at the same time, but um, skateboarding I did I did that through high school. I did photojournalism at high school for at Torrey Pines. I was on the Falconer. Okay. So um, I did that for three years, and that's how I got a lot of English credits without really doing much English classes. <laughs> I surfed more. But um, so I did that. I was a photojournalist, and, and I covered the school paper. So I got this love for documenting. And then um, once I got out of high school, I was in bands and surfing. And then um, but, uh, and eventually I got a job at Transworld for Grant Britain uh, as a darkroom technician for Transworld Skateboarding. Right. And that was really an eye opener. Um, I just got exposed to you know the skate world a little more again, and um, I was just working in the darkroom, and I eventually worked my way out of the darkroom, and I was shooting for the magazine. So that was where I started to really make a living off photography, and uh, and then from that point on, I just went everywhere I could with with, with, with photography. Eventually, ended up in the surf world. Yeah. Well, and then, but let's 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 backtrack a little bit because you also became sponsored skateboarder and you competed professionally yes. as well and this is prior to oh. working at Transworld oh, or way, during way, way prior okay, um, this I... is be like um around 1976 i i did a contest at la costa racing the ymca contest and i got a third place and that was like the mecca of downhill skateboarding so um me and my dad started going to la costa every weekend and racing and that's where I met Stacy Peralta and Tony Alva and the Logan brothers and Bobby Piercy and Tommy Ryan. And uh, so I, I was racing and I was the youngest kid who could keep up with these guys. I wasn't really beating them much, but I was definitely right on their tails and I was 13. So I had a talent for racing. So that's, I eventually got sponsored by Gordon and Smith. So I was on the Gordon and Smith team with Stacy Peralta. And that was a big deal, I guess, for being 13 or 14 at that point. And, yeah, so I, I just that was kind of the beginning of my pro skate career. I, and I was a pro slalom racer. That's what was my thing. I rode pools, I rode ditches and everything, but I was a racer. And that's what I was kind of known for. Now, what? Talk, let's talk about that first a racer. And this is downhill stuff, too. Um, or not? This is more slalom racing. Okay. Not straight downhill. Um, giant slalom, which is big hills going, and then tight slalom, which was just like, you know, four or five foot gates. And you're going extremely fast, wiggling through these things. And the first time I saw it, my dad about, you know, he messed his pants. He couldn't believe that I was going to try to do this because it was so fast. But um, I wasn't afraid of it. And I didn't enough skateboarding where I, I, I came on pretty quick. So, uh, yeah, racing was it was a blast, and it, it was like surfing on the hills. And La Costa, at that point, there was no homes there. It was just these beautiful asphalt hills that had no homes on them. So it was like going to the it was like the North Shore of skateboarding, big fast hills, and um, all these great guys were skateboarding. You know, from Tony, as I said, like Tony Alva and the the Dogtown guys would come down, and Bob Biniak. We always get a race with them, and it, it was a great eye opener to skateboarding. And also, as a young man, just growing up pretty quick, being around a lot of adults, and have and just dealing with that. Who who was your who were your? I mean, you you've mentioned quite a few names here, a very of yeah. legendary yeah. Uh, skateboarders. Who who did you sort of look up to most, or who was sort of that like wow? 
to you? Well, there's two different schools. You know, the guys I was racing with was Bobby Piercy and Tommy Ryan and Henry Hester and Bob Skolberg. Those guys were the racers. But at the same time, I was meeting the Dogtown guys. And, and Tony, um, Tony Alvin, Jay Adams were just, I just thought they were gods, you know, because they were surfer skaters. And I wanted to be a surf skater. And I wanted to surf and skate like Larry Bertelman too, like they did. And that was our influence. So when I met those guys, I was just like, oh, and, and you know, I just emulated their style. So, um, yeah, they had a huge influence on my life at that point, um, stylistically and skateboarding and just everything in life. I wanted to be a surf skater. That's cool. If you're just tuning in, I'm joined by Steve Sherman. You can follow him on Instagram at T-Sherms. Okay, and that's what I got to ask now is T-Sherms. Where does T-Sherms come from? Because when I look at your your name, it, Steve Sherman, there is no T. Well, there yes. is a T in the Steve, but <laughs> so um, where does, how did that come about? It came about, um, I, I'm really into T-shirts. And I used, to, I, always make, I always used to make T-shirts on my own, you know, just iron on black and whites. So I, um, I made Kelly Slater an Eddie Vedder shirt. And it was like this black and white photograph of Eddie and Kelly was wearing it. And then he saw his publicist, Shelby. And she's like, where'd you get that shirt? That's insane. And, and Kelly goes, oh, it's a T-shirt. It's a T-shirt. A T-shirt. <laughs> so, um, and this is about the time he won his 11th world title. And so me and my friend RJ, who were in San Francisco together, he said that, and she, Shelby called me. So that's my T-shirt company. So I, I sell T-shirts in North County at various stores and online at tshirms.com at Fowler's and Cardiff. And um, that's kind of like a little side project I do. Some of it's with my own images, some of it my friend's art, but it's an art-driven T-shirt brand. And uh, yeah, kind of like what Ruko was in the beginning. Rad, rad, right on. Well, I mean, I needed to find out, and then I'm going to actually hone in right now on uh, speaking of some of your artwork, we're going to go straight to your, your birthday tattoo, extended <laughs> birthday wishes here. But there's also, so I'm going to go and hone in. There. Okay. So, and then on your hat, you've got a pin. Yeah, that's, um, that's my, uh, I got two pins. That's my t Radio T-Sherms, which is a tribute to Radio Clash. And then I have my Eddie Vedder pin that my friend Eddie gave me. He's like, a, you know, he's a famous rock star, I guess from Pearl Jam and um, <laughs> yeah um, yeah and then I got this tattoo of a radio I'm, I'm a radio kid I grew up in AM radio in, in, you know in Indiana and I'm just I'm a radio fan radio is kind of dying the actual FM the radio wave so this is kind of my tribute to radio I like it now would any any uh, like comparison to like for me film and digital you know as in photography film is making a comeback right now um, but sort of the same, similar. Yeah. Radio. Yeah. I think, I don't think radio, I think radio will have a comeback too, just like filmed has. Um, there's something about having a radio, just a little transistor radio, but then again, I'm older. So I grew up with it. It's nostalgic for me, but it's just something about radio and it can be, I guess radio is on, it's on the, you know, it's online too. So it's the same thing. There's something about it when it goes through the radio waves. It's just, a, it's a cool thing. Um, film and, and digital, it seems to be making a comeback. Um, I've done so much film in my life. To me, it's okay. And I still shoot film, but you still digitize your film. And I guess it gives it a little different look, but still, it's still digital. So in a way, as a photojournalist, I've really embraced digital. Um, photojournalism, there's no way to shoot film. And uh, so 
I don't like I shot some Holga stuff in Colorado when I went back last month mm -hmm. just to do, which is fun. But um, yeah, it's it's just a different medium, and I think a lot of kids seem to think that that's the hip thing to do and shoot film. And power to them if you have the time for your art to have it. That's a great way to go. Yeah, and I still love to shoot with my Hasselblad. Yeah, Hasselblad. You cannot beat a Hasselblad with a Zeiss lens. Or, you know, sharp. Just the you know. way it feels in your hands, that Hasselblad. Just well, I like the click. It, yeah, and the like, click. It feels like a gun going off. <laughs> it, it, it's like a thunk. <laughs> and you get that little uh, you know, endorphin rush when you hear that click with the Hasselblad. We're going to give you a little, um, we're, we're live right now also. I'm streaming live. Um, and so we're going to give you like, well, I was going to, let's see, should I give you, we'll make you look good. We'll make you look even better. We won't put makeup on you though. I think okay. this is the one. I think this is, there we go. Okay. Oh, there you go. Okay. okay All right, so everyone got to, there's people watching, so they got to see the transformation. Um, and there I am. We're going to go, okay. we're going to go flip back this way, though. We're going to okay. go right back to you. Uh, I won't put any ears on you, though, because I don't like those. Uh... <laughs> okay. Now, I'm in okay. Dez's world, I can tell. You this are... is multimedia, weird stuff going down online, we're live. <laughs> Be careful. I might add a horn or something, you know. No, I wouldn't do I'll, that yeah, to you, Steve. <laughs> I'll, I'll, watch my, I'll watch myself. All right, you guys, if you're just tuning in, this is the Desiree Show. I'm joined by Steve Sherman in studio. And huge thanks again to Cole has been running the boards for me today. Uh, he's got a super sick, dope. Actually, we're going to show it even because he's got a rad hat on right now, but it won't. There we go. Super sick VW bus hat. All right. Uh, Steve Sherman. Um God, there's so many, you know, I want, okay, I'm going to, we were talking, we drove up together, as I mentioned, you know, when we first started the show, you just posted a photo of, of Mick. Mick Fanning. And there has been so much response. I want to hear, let's share a little bit about the backstory on this <laughs> post. This is a classic Instagram. So Mick Fanning is retiring and he's at Bell's Beach and he's, uh, he won his fifth round heat yesterday, which puts him right into the quarterfinals. And um, Mick is one of my, He's a really good friend of mine, one of my favorite people in the whole world. So he's after, after, after every heat he wins, I've been running these archival photos of him. So I put this one of him on his seventh, on, on his like first world title holding a flag. And then afterwards, I found this photo of him and Jay Bay from two years ago where he actually won the competition after the year prior. He fended off a shark. And so it was a big deal for him to go back and get in the water and, um, and he also he had sprained his ankle there. So it was a big dramatic win, and he ends up winning. So that night we're having, having a big party at Sharon's house, which is, she lives on the point. She's like the godmother of, of, of J-Bay. So mix, and this photo is him standing on a counter. So he came up to give a speech, and uh, we're all, it's, it's a kitchen party. You know what kitchen parties can be like, you know. So he's <laughs> up on the counter, and he's stolen one of my favorite hats. He always steals my hats. He goes, this is my hat now, Sharon. It's mine. So he has a hat and he's holding it. So he's telling the story, not story, but to say, hey, thanking all his friends and how it meant a lot this win. And then he jumps down the counter and then in walks Kelly Slater to the party in the kitchen and Mick just runs like a, like a bull and tackles him on the floor and they start wrestling in a wrestling match on this beer-soaked floor. So this is like kind of- it Sounds the, like Doheny Saloon, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> this is all in good fun, you know, but- um. At the same time, Mick, they have a good rivalry, so it's just this funny moment. We're all just laughing. So on my Instagram, I tell the story about this thing. And this, this guy from 
the big island chimes in and goes, oh, wow, maybe you should leave this kind of stuff you know, to the people who were there at the party. Like, like I'd broken some rule or something. And I'm like, I'm, I'm all, gee, sorry, but no. I go, this is what I, I tell stories. And um, so then it just took off like wildfire. You know, I got like a thousand likes and all, 20 people chimed in. No, I love the story. And then I look at my likes and Mick Fanning liked it. So anyway, it's just, it's another one of the situations where on Instagram where you can't please everyone. Like people were calling me out saying, oh, you had, you know, you had told a sacred story or something, but I had told the story before, but that's what Instagram's about. It's about expressing yourself and showing and, and sharing. And um, that's what I do on my Instagram for. I don't do it to really please anyone. I do enjoy sharing the stories. So, and that was my big Instagram moment yesterday. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's quite an awesome uh, story. Um, and then, whoa, we got some crazy stuff going on right here. Um, photography. Okay, so you've shot skateboarding. You've shot surfing all over the world. You've shot bands all over the world. You give this rad perspective. When did you sort of realize that your sort of calling was these intimate kind of images or these intimate moments that you were able to capture? Um, I've always had a great sense of photojournalism. My father was a photojournalist when he was in high school and in college. So I had that DNA. Um, but when I was shooting for transworld skateboarding, uh, I would get a lot of just like those kind of moments. Like there was one time we're in Hawaii and the Gons had jumped. There's too many ramps and he ollie between one to the other. And I turn around behind me and Tommy Guerrero and the boys are all screaming and yelling. And I, and I shot that instead of shooting the gap and it ended up being a two page spread for the opening of the article on the Hawaii, on this, on this contest. And it just kind of opened my eye a little bit that this is something that really wasn't being tapped into as much in the skateboarding world was the photojournalistic aspect of what's going on. And Grant acknowledged that and he dug it. So, um, I kind of opened my eye a little bit of what there's more there than just you know, a trick being done or something that it's, it's the stuff going on behind the scenes that I think the viewer wants to see and um, it's intimacy. And, uh, and I, I come at it from a fan standpoint, like when I'm doing, if I'm shooting skateboarding or if I'm shooting the surf world, I'm a fan too. And I get to see things that a lot of fans don't get to see. So I, I try to document them and, and show them within reason or whatever I'm allowed to right? I feel like I can get away with. Because that's another fine line here. What I do is because these are friends and you don't want to show something that's going to make them look bad or upset them. And I've crossed the line sometimes, you know, but most of the time I, I, all those guys are I've shot are still my friends. So I guess I haven't done anything too horrible to, 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 to have done that. Well, you know, and you bring up a really, a really uh, good point because I know as a, as a photographer as well, there's sort of like, it's a weird thing that goes on in your head and essentially to document what's going on, but then also to sort of protect your friends or, or, or and people's integrity if needed as well. Like I remember one for me that stands out so dearly um, is when um, Jake did that big slam, Jake Brown yeah. slammed at the X Games. And I screamed in horror because I thought my friend was dying. I could not take pictures. Um, and 
yet I know other people did. Yeah. Um, but it was a very, and then even afterwards, seeing him, you know, in Staples Center being brought to the ambulance with Danny and uh, with a few of the guys um, that were with him, you know, trying to sort of honor honor the place that I was able to be at, if that yeah. makes sense. It's it, that's a, I, I know I had a similar thing happen in Puerto Rico <clears throat> where um, a day it was a horrible day. <clears throat> Andy Irons, we had just learned, had passed away. And we were all there on the, the north shore of there. And I was just in shock. And I walk over to the Billabong house, and there's Parco, and there's Taj. And we're all just blank. We're crying, and there's a blank look on my face. And that I didn't shoot one photo that day. And it was one of the first times where it just it didn't even occur to me to shoot a photo. I was just too distraught. And it just didn't, and I shut off. And I, and later I tripped out. I go, I can't find one photo of just people sitting around looking shocked. And it was like, because I think it was just, you know, my friend was dead and I just didn't even think about going there. It's a similar thing. I don't know why, but I just didn't feel appropriate to shoot a photo at that day. But the next day when they did a paddle out for Andy, um, I felt like, I wanted to go out for the paddle out, the paddle out for my friend, but at the same time, I wanted to document and I wanted, to, you know, for Andy. And I got some beautiful images that day. I wanted to make Fanning where he's tipping his hat and he's got a little tribute to Andy written on his board. And um, I'm very proud of that photo because uh, I just, I wanted to do that for Andy to show him that his friends, you know, were, were, were giving him some love. So it's that same thing where you don't know when to shoot, when not to shoot, but, um, yeah, that's what we do. It's, uh, photojournalism is an emotional thing. It's bringing emotions and intimacy. So, um, you gotta cross that line. No, it, it's it's a, it, it's it's a fragile line. It, it's a fragile line that I feel. I don't know. It's a weird. It's something we don't really talk about. It's sort of this. Yeah. Um, I don't. I mean, we were so used to and tainted in some ways because we are have we have access to places where people would die to be at, um, but they are our friends. We are around friends, and on the same token, there's certain times where it's for me, it's just not been like I felt like it would be a violation. Yeah, there's times too where I wish I would have turned it off. You know, like there's times when um friends have lost crucial heats. With, with world title ramifications and they're crying and I'm shooting a photo of it. Um, it's, and when they're a friend, it's really, it, it, sometimes like, oh, did, I really need to shoot that. But sometimes it's hard to turn off that instinct to capture, to capture, to capture. Um, as I said, I, I know I've been guilty of crossing that line by multiple times in my life, but that's what I do. So <clears throat> you just have to go on instinct and hope it all comes out in the wash. And I've lucky, I think I've been lucky enough that it comes out in the wash that I've, I've shot enough, you know, weird photos but with friends that they, they realize that's how, that's what I do. So let me get away with it. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, but, and you're doing your job as well, you know, but there yeah. is those certain times where it does. Yeah. You're doing your job around friends, around friends. And so you do honor those, you do honor there's a certain time where you do honor. Yeah, 
You do, that, you do. You know, exactly. and you respect. You know, and another thing, especially with injuries, I always feel very taboo to take pictures yeah. of, um, granted it's, it's happening, it's yeah. news, but they're your friends. So yeah. it's a really weird, I can't, like a really weird. I had to deal with that exact situation last year at JBay. Um, Kelly had paddled out in the contest area and they called the contest on. So he moved down the point to the upper point. And um, I saw him and so I'm on the beach shooting photos and I look down the beach hundred yards and I see Kelly clawing himself up the beach by the sand, like clawing, like, Oh my God, something bad has happened. So I run down and he looks at me, he's all sure. He goes, my foot's broke. He goes, I pull into a closeout and I heard it go snap. I go, you're kidding me. And he was in pain and he's just sitting there holding his leg and almost tears in his eyes. He was in that much pain. So, um, you know, they got the doctors cause they came over and Todd Glazer's there. And so I shot a few photos and cause I just knew it was, I had to document, but I, I just shot a couple and didn't, wasn't like in his face. And, um, so then, then I, you know, I ran them and, uh, I just wasn't quite sure if it was appropriate, if Kelly would have been bummed. But he, I don't think he, I think he actually liked one of the Instagram photos. So he realized that I, I treated it with, you know, with I just respect. Did, with respect. But the world was going to know already. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it was, it was good to document it. And uh, that's fine. It's like same thing where I was like, I felt guilty. Oh my God, this is my friend. And, but it came out, it all came out in the wash. And the next day he was at the contest and a cast. And I shot a photo of that and that ran. So they're going to get ran anyway. And, but I, you know, it is very, de- it's very delicate. It's you know, very and delicate. And, and it's something yeah. that nobody sort of tells you. It's sort of ingrained. I think it sort of, I don't know. It just sort of like is ingrained in your yeah. soul or your heart yeah. or I, not for all, I yeah. guess, but for us it is. Yeah. And, and that mo- it was a big deal. Kelly had never been hurt that bad. You go, it's on my Instagram somewhere, you know, a year ago, whatever. So, um, as I said, photojournalism, it's a, it's a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) If you're just tuning in uh, and you're not aware, I'm joined by, uh, Steve Sherman, uh, amazing, iconic photographer, um, image capture. And I mean, athlete, uh, professional skateboarder. He's a gnarly surfer. He's a father. As well to two, the, boys, yeah, two boys, and yeah. uh, he's got a football, a little bit of football in there as well, and we'll get into that in a little bit. We're going to talk. Uh, I want to shift gears a little bit because I, I, first I'm going to go. I'm going to sidestep here because you just brought up this photo of Kelly and capturing this. Now I'm going to bring up a photo that has just always touched my heart since the first time I saw it, and it's obviously the photo, the tight shot of Kelly holding this bird on his hand. <laughs> How did when? Like, what's the story behind that shot? That was shot in um, Bali. Uh, it was five years ago. And I was there for the Karamas contest. And um, my son had just graduated eighth grade. So I took him to Bali. Right the day after he graduated, we went jumped on a plane. We flew 16 hours. And so we were, we were at Karamas together. And so I go, hey, we're going to go and visit Kelly. And Ke- uh, Taj, my son, had met Kelly before. So we go to the house, and Kelly's there. And... We're all just kind of goofing around, not doing much. We're out by the pool, and this bird came up on my son and just it was right on the ground and it went on my son's finger. 
This is Taj. So Taj is walking around with this. And everyone's looking at it, going, oh, how cute's that? He's got this bird. And Kelly goes, oh, hey, Taj, let me see that bird. <laughs> Kelly being the competitive guy. Is, <laughs> I'm going to get the bird here. <laughs> well, he got the bird. And then he starts slowly moving it. And, he, and this, he's just doing this on his own. This wasn't for a photo. This was just on his own. So I, I have a 50-millimeter lens, so I'm, I'm pretty far back. And he just takes it slowly up to his nose. And it taps him on the nose. And I just go. And Kelly has this, like, Vulcan mind meld he does over, over <laughs> animals, children, adults. He has, he's, he has something he can do. So anyway, so he, he had stolen all the, the show from my son. And everyone's like, oh, my God, look what Kelly can do. And I got this photo. And I think it's one of my favorite portraits I've ever done of him because it's sensitive, but it's also it shows you he's in tune with things and intense focus, yeah. focus in that photo. And it's funny. Um, and the honor to nature. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, it's... And a funny thing is he was going for his 12th world title, I think, later that year, and that was on tap to be the world title. If he won that world title, that was going to be the photo that ran on his covers and everything, but he just lost it out. So that photo really didn't get shown much, um, but I'm really proud of it. It's just like a cool moment. It's one of my favorite portraits I've ever done of him. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a, oh, it, I love that photo. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just a, there's so much, it's a real so much emotion, too. and yeah. yeah, you can't stage it. I mean, it's it was it was photography at its finest. Well, and also photography is about being given gifts from the photo god, from God, whatever's up there. <laughs> they give, sometimes they give you these gifts, and also it's, it's all about. You can't, I say, you can't kill, you can't kill the animal unless the gun's loaded. So you always got to have the camera ready for those fleeting moments. It's like a decisive moment, Henry Cartier-Bresson. It's those fleeting moments, you know, one twenty-fifth of a second of life, and it's gone. And um, and I, I, I tell, my you know, I do photo lectures, I always say, hey, that's what it's all about. Henry Cartier-Bresson had that that gift of that moment. It's the decisive moment. And that's one of those gifts. And who are other of your, I mean, you mentioned Henry, who are other photographers or writers or people that have impacted your work? Um, I'm a big fan of a Walker Evans. Mm -hmm. He's a famous photographer who worked for the farm security administration back in the thirties. He documented the depression. He, I just love his work. Um, Craig Stesick, Good friend of mine, I worked with him. He influenced me more than anyone. He took black and white photography onto the coastal skate scene and just made it, made these bigger than life images. Um, I, I say Craig is one of my big ones. Um, Danny Clinch, rock and roll photographer. Mark Seliger from Rolling Stone. Those two guys later on in my life became, and I've, um, I got lucky enough to meet Danny, and he's a friend of mine now. And yeah. And I just, in awe that I, I just, whenever I see him, I just, we, we connect and people tell me that I'm the Danny Clinch of my world. And he, and he knows that he, he kind of told me that, that we're kind of similar guys in different worlds, but he gets to work with Neil Young and all these crazy guys. And I'm working with Kelly Slater. And Andy Irons. Or, and Andy, or yeah. you know, I mean, yeah. you're working with some other. Yeah. And um, we're in awe of each other a little bit because he's, he's, a, he's a surf fan too. So we cross over and we have that multi-respect, but um, I think Danny Clinch is incredible. Any now, any older? I mean, I love Arnold Newman. I love Elliot Erwitt. I love there's, I mean, Man Ray. Like I have a yeah. like my, but you 
are more back to the depression. Well, I, of this. I, I love the stark imagery of Walker Evans. He he, he went to Cuba with with Hemingway, mm -hmm. and he and he shot medium format, just very stark street photography, um, which just. I have tons all of his books, and I guess me and you own his negatives because they're part of the Library of Congress. So we can actually go there and get prints of his stuff very cheaply because we own his stuff. And um, Dorothea Lang was another one of his people he worked around. So she's one of those, one of those who, who were great photojournalists who were artistic and brought art to photojournalism back in an early time. Which um, And um, Walker Brady from the Civil War. When I was, I remember when I was nine years old, figuring out that, oh my God, there was cameras back during the Civil War, and they had all this great Civil War battlefield imagery too that really had a profound effect on me, that made me kind of want to dabble in that world. Rad, awesome, yes. Okay, I just finished up a little bit of a story, a live story there also on Instagram. Sorry, <laughs> going double. I'm multitasking. Uh, uh, it's amazing. No, you it's see a, this. This is amazing. Oh, no. <laughs> We're going around the world. <laughs> We're going all worldwide. No. Um, okay, uh, I mentioned this photo of, of Kelly. Um, I'm going to go back to Kelly in a moment because I want to also mention and want to just touch on that beautiful image of Lisa Anderson you also shot that is very intimate, but very, um, but that's it. Like there's, it's just beautiful. Um, the photo of, the, I, I mean, I'm assuming yeah. it was medium format. Yeah. Um, black and white. Yeah. Um, Mamiya C330, I okay. shot that in France in okay. 97. That's a the good, funny story about, so I was covering the world tour. I first covered it in 95 and I went back in 97 and me and my wife had just gotten married, and we were on our honeymoon. And so we decided to double double dip. So I covered Lacanau, and I went to Hasegore. So I we're love there. Hasegore. Hasegore. I love it. I love <laughs> that place. So we're up on our you know, tenth story, and um, Lisa was there, and she had just broken up with her boyfriend at the time, and she was just tripping out. She was, and she's talking to me and Pam about it. She's just kind of a little spun out. I said. Or just come by the house, and, you know, we'll make some dinner and have some wine and we'll just we'll chill out and, you know, maybe shoot some photos. I got this idea for a photo. So she came over and Pam started making dinner in the kitchen. And I said, Lisa, you know, I want to I want to do you up like Marilyn Monroe. I go, let's let's make you into Marilyn Monroe. And she's all, she's all, OK, I'm into it. Let's do it. I go, OK, OK, well, strip down and then wrap a towel around you. <laughs> So, and she laughs. In her honeymoon suite. Yeah, this is a honeymoon suite. My wife's and Pam's in the kitchen making, you know, f you know, shrimp. So uh, she went for it, and we shot these photos of her at this funky little apartment. And um, I shot it on my medium format, and this one of her with a glass of wine and her thing. And it was just, it really came out neat. And it, it was it was a point in her life where she was ready to do something a little rebellious. And... Uh, I think she's a little embarrassed nowadays about the photo. When I, when it just, I you know, people to this day, oh my God, Lisa in bed with wine. They went, uh, this thing is like, it was, you know, a dark side where I, you know, I go, well, Pam was in, you know, making dinner. Pam was making dinner and it was our, we were on our honeymoon. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, the, the backstory, it makes yeah. it even that much more dimensional. It's amazing. I know. And uh, she trusted me. And, and I actually found this, so, someone sent me a photo. One of our friends came over and I, I saw this photo of me shooting that photo. 
and, uh, and I, I got my wife beater on and my, my, you know, my Adidas on, and I, I couldn't believe it. I had a photo of it. I'm so stoked to have this image. It was cool. Who shot your wife? No, it was on one of our friends who was, um, who was on tour. He just came by, man, to get a glass of wine, and he shot a photo. And it came up online the other day. I was like, holy shit, I forgot anyone even came by. Because when you're in a shooting mode, you're just kind of, you know, you're in your focused. Mode, focused. And, uh, and, well, I, and you don't want to be shot. Like, I don't want to be taken. I mean, in the past, I didn't. No, I mean, no, I could, care, I could care less. I yeah. was just shooting. But um, that I'm very proud of that moment. And, and Lisa likes it too. And it just, it made her even sexier. It was none of the situations where what Mark Seliger brings to portrait he 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 turns people into bigger than life characters and when the stuff with wrong stone he dressed them up like it didn't matter if he put the guys in fleetwood mac and drag or mick fleetwood or something like that he and i did that with andy irons i wanted to make them bigger than life and sometimes you have to create something give them a persona and with andy i did that whether it was like you know i made him like john dillinger with like a wife beater and suspenders or or as the president, we had him on the president flashing three world titles at LAX. We had him for a half hour and we, 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 we set the whole room up and we shot him in a half hour and he went to Kauai, things like that. So that's something that I learned from Mark Seliger. I, uh, I, I worked for him for a couple of days in the 90s and I learned a lot from him about bringing that out of people with medium format. <laughs> now, can people purchase your images? Yeah, if you um, get a hold of me, you can get a hold of me off of Instagram. And uh, it's usually just a direct that people can get a hold of me. Okay, just it, at T yeah. Sherms. Yeah, or, um, or, or, or my email. I don't care. Sherm photo at Hotmail. Okay. And, and um, people will all the time. And I, I can, you know, you can go any route that stuff. But uh, that's usually a personal thing. People just get a hold of me directly. And I had the stuff on my, on my T Sherms.com for a while, but I think we took it down. But um, people, when they get a hold of me, they usually know what they want. You know, it's either the surfboard graveyard or something like that. Yeah, and I'm, I can get them shipped anywhere. So I'm, I love working with people personally on that stuff. So that's easy to do. Wow, and that's a special gift as well to, that you give to the person that buys it. I mean, just to have the relationship to be able yeah. to purchase an image is if amazing. Someone, if someone wants an image that bad, I'm willing to, I love chatting with them and doing it. And so, yeah, that that's a treat as a photographer, as an artist, when people really care enough to want your, your work yeah. and buy it. And people can also check out your website. Yeah, uh, t-shirt. Yeah, it's um, t com. That's where I have our t-shirts on. That's an easy way to get a hold of me through that. And uh, as I said, you can email me or my Instagram. Instagram me a message. Um, I'm a big fan of Instagram. I, I think it's a great medium. It's fun. It's fun. Um, my stuff goes to Facebook, but I don't pay attention to Facebook. It's like opening up a can of worms. That yeah, I just post and go. Yeah. Like I don't even like scroll. I, like yeah. I can't even stand. <laughs> too much, I, there's I too much information already going on. That I don't need all that. So I don't need to know what my, try to keep it my, my friends are eating. No. <laughs> I, yeah, no, totally. Okay. So we're going to switch gears real quick. Um, I want to, again, I told you, I, I did warn you guys we're going to go in circles today. I'm, I'm a little wacky. Olympics surfing, skateboarding and surfing are going to the 2020 Olympics surfing the wsl has shifted some of their contests they've taken off trestles they've taken off tavarua they've added bali and lamore yes ranch kelly's ranch yes um we kind of spoke about it driving up here as well uh first thoughts on surfing in the olympics um my first thought 
I don't know. It's not like I think that's the greatest thing in the whole world. But if they're going to go there, I think it's um, it's interesting to have an international flavor to it, having countries like, you know, like Kanoa, Igarashi, or Japan, and things like that. Um, I think the wave pool technology will make that happen more exciting because of who wants to see the, uh, the winner of a two-foot slop in Japan? It's not going to happen. Yeah. But I think with wave pools, and they're getting better and better and a little more. When you see on a contest, I watched the first mock contest they did in July. I was there covering it, and it was exciting. And it's not every wave is not the same. The wind, the right and the left are different. So there's wind going and there's launch ramps with the wind. And I think it's going to open it up. So I hope they bring a really good wave pool to the Japanese to Japan for this because it'll be exciting. Um, I just the worst thing to be would have that happen in like you know no surf or horrible surf. It won't capture the imagination of the world. Now when guys are doing airs and getting tubed on man-made waves, I think that'll capture the imagination of the average sports fan. Oh. That's my take on it. Isn't um, surfing big enough? Oh, I think surfing's big enough. I, I could care less if it's in the Olympics, to tell you the truth. I mean, it doesn't really... But if they're going to do it, they may as well do it and make it look good. And if they're going to do it, I think the wave pool is the way to go with it. Um, I mean, it'd be perfect to have it at 12-foot cloud break, that would be exciting, but fly everybody like, out yeah, to cloud break. That's where it should <laughs> where are they be. Gonna, where are they going to? Where are they going to yeah. sit? It's just going to be like a satellite, yeah. you know. Like here's the Olympics. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's more like skateboarding. Though. You know, wave pools are like watching a ramp. You know, it's the same thing, except the ramp moves a little bit more and it's affected by the wind. But I think, um, I think there's some excitement there. But personally, it didn't. I'm not like that. I've been waiting for the surfing to go to the Olympics. That doesn't, as a surfer, doesn't mean much to me. But if they're going to do it, they should do it right. Right on. Well, yeah, because, I, you know, and we uh, we mentioned as well driving up, and I think a lot of people think about it as well, is that, you know, with surfing, there has been always the element of sort of the holding periods. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, some don't even happen. I mean, the Antiochai, if yeah. it doesn't hit 20 foot, it doesn't yeah. happen. There's, a, you know, a few months span for contests throughout the world. It's, a, you know, okay, we're going to, tomorrow we're going to, there's something happening, but we're going to hold it open for 24 hours or an eight hour period. Yes. This is not going to be that way. Um, the consistency of the wave is going to be more there. It is not, however, there is variable because you did mention there is wind variable with this. Yep. Now, Lemour, Lemour, it sounds like it should be a spot in France or in Paris in the middle of the desert. No, um, Lemour is uh, between uh, Fresno and Bakersfield in that yes. vicinity. Yes. Um, it, not really a destination area. I don't know how, where you fly into it, but um, Fresno Sac Airport or Sac? I think Sac. You still got a three-hour, yeah. four-hour drive. Yeah, and I guess there's a big casino. <laughs> right through the desert. <laughs> there is a a there's a casino in Lemoore. <laughs> oh, okay. So I guess everyone's staying at the casino, and that's the big, the only thing really in Lemoore that has much going like that is, is like the casino. So I think people are going to stay at the casino, and the way pool is probably about three miles from there. Okay. And um, as I said, I was there last July for the first run of a contest they did there. And it was, um, man, the thing's a trip. It's like a big-ass swimming pool. And it's longer than people think. It's a long wave. So it Chopu style or? <laughs> no, Chopu is just a small zone. No, not Chopu, but uh, the two, which is the, the uh, him, um, 
the two mile left. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Sorry. It, it's just a long right and a long left that goes forever. I mean, when they get to the end of the wave, you can barely see them. So it's actually, it's pretty physically taxing on the surfers. They get cramps because it's a long, it's in that, you know, the wave takes off, they go to the right and then it stops and they, they jump off and they go to the takeoff point and like two minutes later, the left comes. And so they have to get ready for the left. And then the winds are usually onshore on the left or if it's onshore on the right, which depending on where the wind's coming out. So there's different ways to approach it. So, um, but physically it's taxing, you know, I think on those guys, you say, they say they get jelly legs cause it's so long. But when you see that way for the first time, you go, Oh my God, when I was there and they cranked it up. So it was like a foot and a half bigger, maybe two feet on the face bigger than I remember seeing photos of. I got this photo of Mick squaring off the bottom, and I go, that looks like a 10-foot trestles wave, you know? <laughs> it does. It, it, it's neat, you know? But um, I don't think it's the answer for serving, but I, I think there's, there's going to be a place for it in the future, for sure. Okay, and we are running out of time, so we got a few more minutes. I want to... I want to talk a little bit about football because we, we go back and forth. We will yeah. communicate via football as well. Yeah. Um, you played. I played, I played uh, my freshman year of high school football. I played a ton of Pop Warner. Um, my son played high school football at LCC for four years. He was all avocado linebacker last year. So, um, yeah. I'm, and I'm, your youngest son. And my, is young, now- my youngest son, Ethan, he's in the eighth grade, but he's – Decide he's going to play freshman football, so he's going to play, and he's he's going to be he's tall and big, and so both my sons are pretty good athletes and, and they're aggressive, so football lends well to our, our family, I think. <laughs> the format, yeah, yeah, or just the aggressiveness and just you know hitting and being angry for six to eight seconds, and then letting it go. <laughs> my son was playing Pop Warner, and he was just okay. And then I said, Taj, you need to get in tune with being angry for six to eight seconds and let it go. And that ball snapped again. You can get angry, pissed off, go crazy, and then stop. The next practice, the coach took me aside and goes, what got into Taj? I go, I just told him about being tapping into his dark side. Oh, so it worked like that. So, yeah. And, um, you know, I was, I've been a Charger. I was a Charger fan forever. So this whole Charger moved to L.A. was a big emotional trip for all, you know, all of us fans and we're all at different places with that. You know, the move to LA was a, was a bummer. Yeah, but you do still, you've kind of come, you kind of went back to rooting for them. Though. Oh, well, I'm or- always going to root for them. Yeah. And I watch the games. Um, I was telling you, my father says they don't exist. It's like, he's all, they, they don't exist to me anymore. My, my father, who was a longtime fan, really took it personally. And a lot of my friends burned all their gear. So it's just, when you take a, a team away like that, that's the only, the biggest problem I had with the NFL doing that was that it just, it didn't, it showed no respect for the fans. San Diego, huge fan base. And it was just, it was a tragedy that they couldn't figure something out to get the stadium there and keep it there and, and you know, and, and build up the fan base. And so the, so those guys can make more money. That's the reason why they left. So, these certain this handful of guys can make more money. And I know it's a money thing, but still, you know, I guess the fans don't mean much to the NFL. Yeah, I, but, but I, I mean, I think it's, <laughs> it's not that simple. I, oh, I understand. You know, that. But, I mean, I really but, feel yeah. like I, cause I was really angry with also with um, the, 
you know, the council and yeah. the hoteliers and this inability for people to work together for the best for the community. That's and what, that's what the hardest part was for me. Yeah. Um, it's not, it wasn't just one person's fault. No, it's not just on the it's just a, a big loss for yeah. San Diego. It was the city. It was the, the government of San Diego too. And so I understand that But as a fan, it just hit me really personally. And, um, I just was a little distraught that they couldn't come to a better situation than sticking him in that you know that place, and we'll see what happens. But um, as I said, I'm still rooting for him. As, as long as, as as Rivers is still there, you know, I guess I'll, I'm going to be a fan, and we'll see what happens. But um, I can't see rooting for anyone else, so it's kind of weird. Have you been to Carson? Have you been to Staples Center? No, I haven't. I highly recommend it. It's it's an amazing venue. It's Similar to the size of LCC. I, I mean, it's yeah. very intimate. Yeah, and it it's looks, a really oh, it looks cool, intimate. <laughs> it's, a, it's a cool space to see a game, if yeah. you haven't. I've been, I was there for the NFL PA Bowls, um, and I've been there for some uh, some warm-ups, yeah. uh, some practices as well, yeah. some scrimmages. I, I wouldn't write that out, going to see a game there. One thing I won't do, I'm not going to buy any of the gear. I'm not going to buy any gear. It's... It, I'll, I'm always, there's something, that's my line right there. And that was sad because every beginning of a year, I'd always buy a new hat for good luck, trying to go, this is going to be the hat that's going to bring us, you know, that was my thing. And this year I didn't get to get a new hat. I just said, no, all my gear is in a box. And it's just, um, but my son was watching the game. He's like, what do you mean? Who are you going to root for, dad? I'm like, yeah, you're right. You know, but my dad's just like, what, what are you watching? I'm like, it's my Chargers dad. What does your dad do on Sundays now? No, you know, yeah, my, yeah. my dad judges dog shows on Sundays now. And what, and my dad, my dad was watching NASCAR. Oh wow! We're from Indiana, and we're we're indie guys. And then Danica Patrick went to NASCAR, and next thing I know, my dad's watching NASCAR. My dad never used to watch NASCAR, and so now Danica's left, and now the big race is coming out where Danica's going to do the last Indy 500, an in, in Indy car. This wow. is her last race. And my dad's a huge fan of hers, so it's gonna be funny to watch him watch that. You know, she's a she's, she's a pretty rad. Yeah. She's pretty she's rad. Amazing, yeah. I, I watched a documentary on her. She's a gnarly person, but she's also she's a go getter. You know, God love her. Good good luck in Indy, Danica. Yeah. No. Totally. Good luck in Indy. All right. So we are wrapping it. We're running out of time. Um, any last bit you want to throw out there, Steve? Um. Just that I do this because I'm a fan. I'm a fan of pro surfing. I have been since 1976. And this is, I approach my work as a fan. And um, it doesn't matter how much money I make. I'm probably going to always want to do this and be around my friends and do this. Um, I love showing the average surf fan something they don't get to see. I'm privy to some pretty cool moments. And that's kind of why I do it, you know, and, I, and I'm a surfer. Uh, first, I'm a surfer, then I'm a surf fan. So that's why I do it. And um, I want to surf as long as I can my whole life. And, um, yeah, go Seaside Mob. <laughs> that's, you know, I just do this. I love surfing. I, I'm, I like traveling, but now I'm more happy at home surfing when the waves are good. So um, it's been a pleasure talking with you today. I'm a fan of your show, and uh, it's an honor to be a part of all these great people you could have come on here. So thanks for having me on. Oh God. Thank you. I'd love to have you back. There's so much more we could talk about. You're amazing. Thanks Steve for oh, your time. No, uh, there's nothing. I love it. And, um, right on. 
And thank you guys for tuning in. Thanks, Cole, for running the boards for me today. And uh, quick heads up, uh, El Segundo High School, Sunday, April 8th, uh, Dr. Jen Welters having her women's or her girls uh, flag football camp. So if you're interested in the Los Angeles area or San Diego area, it's a great opportunity. Uh, Byron Chamberlain will be there as well. All right, you guys, thanks for tuning in. And everyone, give please give a shout, another prayer for Waylon, uh, Mama, and the Mama family. And this is the Desiree Show on Dash Radio, and I'm out.